Welcome to the Truth For Doubt discussion series. I'm your host, Michael Badger, and last week we told you all that we would be having a conversation with a African missionary by the name of Joseph Lacudo. But unfortunately, we had some communication errors and we were unable to schedule that interview, so hopefully that'll be rescheduled for some time in the near future. Until then, we have an excellent interview with a Romanian missionary by the name of Caleb Roperson. And he and his family have an extraordinary ministry with the Romanian people. And he just moved to a new city, so we're going to be talking about the challenges that come with that. And we're also going to be talking about how he creates those bridges to the gospel with the Romanian people. So we really hope that you all enjoy this discussion. Caleb Robertson, it's awesome having you on here. Thanks so much for doing this, by the way. I really appreciate it. Hey, Michael. Thanks. No problem. I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, good. So you are a uh, an American missionary in Romania, right? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So one of the questions that, that I've gotten a lot, because I've had the privilege of, of being able to meet so many incredible missionaries from all over the world world um, doing what Kayla and I've been doing, and I'm sure you've had the exact same experience. But one of the questions that I usually get from people here, and I don't know if you've ever gotten this or not, but it's the question, uh, what do missionaries do for fun? And I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question, but I've been asked this question a lot. And I I always reply, well, I mean, they they read, you know, Calvin's Christian Institutes, of course, that's what they do for fun. Yeah. Uh, they're missionaries. Yeah. They don't they don't do anything else. They like pray. That's that's it. <laughs> But uh, but what what things do you like to do for fun? Um, I honestly like to. Um, Romania is really beautiful, and so I like to, we like to travel around, do some day trips sometimes every now and then to just see the the country, and so and then just kind of walk around, hang out in the cities or whatever. So that's pretty much what we do for fun: hang out with our kids right now, and yeah, visit, awesome. travel. I mean, I live in Europe, so might as well if <laughs> we get our time off. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's crazy how close things are together in Europe. I kind of forget that sometimes. And when we were talking with our friends in Germany, we talk about how, you know, Kayla and I, we can drive, we drive five hours to go see just my family. And in the German mindset, they think that is like forever away and they can't really like comprehend that we take that trip. Yeah. So what's the Romanian landscape like? Um, well, Romania is actually very proud of the fact that they have um, every type of landform. So they have mountains and um, they have uh, seas, they have, uh, they have beaches and rivers and forests and fields. So they kind of have it all. Yeah, it's That's beautiful. Awesome. I mean, lots of mountains. <laughs> That's really yeah. cool. So um, tell me a little bit about yourself, man. Uh, how uh, how did you get called into ministry? Did you do anything before ministry? What What's kind of, I guess, your, your brief testimony? Well, um... Really just, uh, I grew up in Alabama, decided to go to Union University in Jackson, Tennessee, because it was eight hours away <laughs> from my hometown. <laughs> so <laughs> I was ready to get out. And so that's where I went. I went to Jackson, liked the school, and then I met Ashley. And then about two and a half years in, we ended up getting married. Now we have four children. Really, truthfully, I was always interested in missions in the sense that I liked it. I thought it was a great thing to do, and I would help. You know, my job, I'd support missions perhaps, or even go on a trip here and there. Never thought I'd be a missionary. Um, I had the American dream set in my mind, and so um, yeah, I uh, went to Romania in 2007, and God kind of changed my life <laughs> drastically during that um, six weeks trip. But um, yeah, so then after that, my wife and I 
Well, Ashley and I got married and then we went to, we had a plan, five-year plan to get to Romania and to start our lives here. So that's kind of like the brief thing. Before, I was in college when I came, we got married when we were 20. So before um, I joined the mission or I was a missionary, we just worked at Red Lobster, <laughs> waited tables, went to school, got a job teaching and with my wife got a job teaching as well. And then about three years after we got our teaching jobs, we ended up in Romania. So correct me if I'm wrong, it was her family already missionaries in Romania? Yeah, her family moved in 2005 to Romania. Okay. She was a senior in high school and they moved there um, for like an eight month trial and then she came back to college and then they ended up moving back and working full time. And so they've been there ever since. So that's kind of how God led us to Romania. We both, after my first trip there, I decided this is what God's calling me to do is to be a missionary. So we both decided after we got married that we wanted to, it was a logical move. It just made sense for us to go to Romania. We'd been there before. We knew the language. We went all the, all of our breaks from school. We'd go to Romania. We spent all of our time in Romania, our extra time, our vacation time. So we knew the language. We knew the culture. It just made sense for us to go. Um, one of the things that really caught God used to bring us there was we wanted to share the gospel, obviously. But when we would go to the gypsy villages or around helping our parents in the summers, um, we realized that um, the people were not educated. They didn't know how to read or write. A lot of them hadn't even really heard um, the true gospel story or even like Adam and Eve and who they were. So they just had no idea. And so we um, were like, okay, they don't have an idea because they, they don't get taught these things in the Orthodox Church. And they also, they wanted to find out on their own. If you give them a Bible, that's great, but they can't read it. So my wife, who always wanted to be an educator, was broken for this. And so we decided to move God called us to move there to Romania to start an after-school program. Actually, it was a school in the beginning, but that was a lot bigger than what we thought we could handle. So we started small and did an after-school program and to teach the people to read and write because we were convinced that if we bring someone to Christ, that's wonderful. If God uses us to witness to them, He, you know, breaks their heart and He, you know, calls them to Himself and they become a Christian. That's wonderful. But how can they grow um, in their relationship with God? How can they commune with Him? I mean, we do that mostly. Through the word. I mean, we hear the spirit um, through the word and through praying that back. And if they don't know the word, you know, they're not going to be able to grow in their faith. So that was kind of our, our idea was to teach them how to read and write, use the Bible to do that. And they would come to know Christ and they would then repeat the process. So that's kind of how God led us here to Romania six years ago. Wow, that's incredible. Like I've heard your testimony before, at least I've heard that that portion of your testimony before, and it just like it gives me goosebumps every time I I think about all just all the amazing things that God has done through you guys. So you guys you guys touched on or you just touched on uh, the gypsies. So a lot of people yes. don't really like what is the relationship between Romanians and and the Romanian gypsies that are there. Um, sadly, it's not always a good relationship. Um, right. The gypsies are you know I did some research back for my master's in education. About like two years ago, and I found out that um, in the research that Roma gypsies are the most, one of the most hated people groups in the entire world. In any culture that they're in, they're usually ostracized, um, marginalized, um, blamed for a lot of things. Um, so that's just kind of like anyone's opinion of them. But Romania has one of the larger populations. Being that Romania is poor itself, and a lot of Romanians go um, west to the other countries, to you know England and to Ireland and to France to work. The gypsies also go there and they beg and they do things that aren't always the most honest uh, means of making ends meet. And so um, they still do things like that. So when people hear gypsies, they think of that. And the fact that gypsies is more of a slang term for the Roma 
And then you have Romanians, Roma. Romanians get really, really upset because a lot of the Western world mistakes the gypsies who, who have Romanian citizenship and are Romanians, you know, by birth, um, but they're still gypsy by blood. Uh, they get really ups- upset because people equate Roma gypsies with Romanians. They're the same. There's no difference. And so there's a lot of pride on that. And so some, some tensions, definitely some racial tensions. Um, and the, in some areas, it's not as bad. Um, in the cities, it depends if the family is an educated gypsy family. They can kind of integrate pretty well. The times are changing. I think the younger generation actually doesn't really care if they're gypsy or not. You know, if the person's an honest person, they're working hard. They don't really care. But the older generation definitely doesn't like them too much. Gotcha. It's a, um, very interesting. They Most of the time, they're just poor, undereducated, just kind of repeating the process of their their culture, their their stereotype. A lot of them fit right into the stereotype and kind of repeat the process. And yeah. Right. So is everyone in Romania kind of under the... Uh... I guess the the Orthodox Church is it is it Eastern Orthodox that they are in? It's it's Greek Orthodox. Greek so Orthodox. It's little, okay. They don't um they'll hold to the Greek Orthodox and something's Russian, but Romanian's got its own little breed, but it's Greek Orthodox. Um, they got a, they got some interesting things that are a little bit different, but for the most part, it's the same Greek Orthodox, Romanian Orthodox, kind of all the Orthodox are kind of in the same boat with some variations, but right. So what what would you say is the main difference between Greek Orthodox and Orthodox Christianity. I don't know, like this necessarily like the difference. I would say, but one thing I know that's specific, maybe specific to Romania, but something that I've just kind of I'm experienced myself is the Romanian priest. Every priest, whether he's in a village or in a big city, or has a lot of different parishes and churches under him, he he's like he has authority, as like the Catholic Pope has authority of to interpret scripture, to make things new, all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, well. That each Romanian priest has this capability and this. Um, so, like for the villager in the village, their priest is like the ultimate source of authority and speaks for God in a lot of ways. And so that's kind of what's different about Orthodox than um, other religions, and even different from uh, Catholic religion. Right. So, and that's right. kind. Of, I'm not sure if the Greek in Greek they do that and the Greece and things, but in in Romania, um, that's kind of been the trend. Man. So what is the, uh, the I guess, the primary worldview of Romanians there? Because, I mean, it, it completely correct me if I'm wrong, because my, my Western European history is is really bad. But they, they were under communist rule for a, a long time, right? Has that kind of shaped their outlook on the world and, and even probably God as well? Yeah, that's the key to understanding and working in Romania, is if you, you have to understand their communist past, you have to understand their... The oppression they went through, the control that the government had on them, and even the history tells us that um, the Romanian, the Communist Party, just put in Romanian churches and used the Orthodox Church to control the people and to manipulate them and to put fear in them. So that's like a big thing for Romanians is fear of the of the priests and what they could do to you and um, different things. And so um, yeah, it's it's the understanding the communist. Um, background and the dark history they've had that's the key to understanding um, Romanians and how they view the world man at least the older generation so there's a difference because you have the younger generation that's born after 88 89 90 that have lived a completely free life and even now you have like the second generation coming around and being completely free so there's you start seeing some more western um, ideals and western values that the you know older generation doesn't have and that communism is to them is like a distant even though it's not so far distant, but it's still like it's not real to them because they haven't experienced it. Right. So they've lived in freedom and, you know, 
Yeah, because when we were working in Ireland, you kind of saw the same thing. Not not with like like this communist rule being kind of in the back of their minds or anything like that. But in Ireland, you had that a lot with the Catholic Church. So the older generation would be a lot more almost superstitious with their belief, you know, making sure that they go to Mass on their, you know, the required times that they go to Mass, making sure that they do everything that they needed to do for penance and always making sure that they confess the priest and all these different things in order to, uh, you know, basically to appease God. Um but with the younger generation, you didn't really see that as much. You saw a complete kind of opposite viewpoint on that. There was kind of like this almost an atheistic outlook on their faith. Uh, in fact, one of my good friends there kind of kind of was like that as well. But so it's it's it makes it so difficult when you have two completely different generations who have who live in the same place, same same culture, but completely two different ways that you would have to approach them. And I guess that's in every culture, but it's, I think it's something that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah, um, I think Romania is pretty unique in the sense you got this, uh, it's in a unique situation, like located on the geographically, like it's the doorstep of the East and the West. And so they get a lot of conflict, <laughs> not conflict, but you see a lot of mixtures. You're like, well, that's kind of interesting. But it's because they have the Western values and also the Eastern you know, values as well, the conservative values and the Westerns getting more progressive. And so um, you get all that mixed in. It kind of makes a very interesting <laughs> worldview um, for Romanians. But as you asked me earlier about their worldview, a predominant worldview would be even the younger generation, if they've been raised Orthodox, they're Romanian. And to be Romanian is to be Orthodox, whether you practice it or not. But that Western universalism, the Western progressive thought, and the Western materialistic view has uh, kind of been blended in and uh, created a lot of apathy. Like you might see in America or in the Western uh, part of Europe, they just don't really care about God or the church or anything that's happened. And yeah, and then you throw in the Romanians that lo- Romanians love tradition. They love who they are. Um, it kind of uh, it's just a real mixed bag, I guess, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Right. So, have you found an effective way to to I guess reach both generations to reach the generation that kind of has that more religious pluralism, and then also the the older generation that has kind of more of that the orthodox mindset? I think um, one thing that we have to be careful of, and even my own self, is to just not get trendy about things, not right. to overcomplicate things, not to just try the, I mean, try things always, try different things. Don't ever do the same thing and expect a different result if it's not working. Try something else. I'm all about that. But at the end of the day, um, we're all humans in the sense that we, we, we thrive in relationships. And I think relationships is the most effective way to share the gospel. Um, and you can throw in all the other things that you need to help make that those conversations, you know, where they need to be made and to guide them where they need to be guided. But I think intentional relationships, making relationships with people for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel is the most important and effective way to do things. And like, I think when I was preaching back at Northbrook, I talked about Anka, who's from the village that we um, used to work in for the past five and a half years. And just to hear her story always encourages me on the fact that we hired this lady Kind of like it just made sense. She spoke English. She needed a job. She had great kids. She smiled a lot. She was a really kind person. She'd be a great helper in our preschool class. So we just hired her and then just teaching her how to teach. And then every day of the week, just hanging out with her, you know, working alongside of her, having our whole team, like our whole family was working. And we're all believers. We have also other Romanian workers that are believers as well. And just having her working alongside of us and just weaving in the gospel when we were in being intentional and not being intentional. But the fact that she just saw that we did things differently, we were close enough. We were day by day, side by side and working in the school program. 
and then her asking questions and seeing how Ash and I parent differently and thinking that our she told me that our kids were really well behaved and I'm like I don't know what kids are talking about because my kids are the worst but she saw something different you know and I just was I'm, sometimes I'm just being friends being a coworker, being employer for example and she saw things differently and God used just asked her to ask questions and we would always invite her to church of course we invited everyone in our village to come and hang out with us at church and different things and she always had the excuse of I'm too busy I don't have time I'm gonna do all this stuff you know and then after about a year of working with us she started coming to church and then just seeing her grow and we're just being friends we're just trying to be intentional and yeah god brought her brought him to herself called her made her alive and it's amazing to see the whole process for me i think it was the first time seeing that the beginning and the and the end result of someone coming to salvation and christ coming to know i mean so many times we've planted the seed or you know we've watered something we've never seen the fruit but it was cool to be there for that year and a half two years to see how god changed her completely and really, I don't think, I mean, I don't want to say that I wasn't intentional because obviously we hired her because she was, God laid her in her hearts and she fit perfectly. But just the fact that you don't have to overcomplicate things. You just love God, love others. You, you know, intentional relationships. I just think it makes sense. Don't overcomplicate it. <laughs> you know, God, God's, yeah. God's going to do what he's going to do. And we just have to be intentional. We have to be willing to make relationships that are going to be uncomfortable. They're going to be different and just share the gospel at all times, pulling out the local truths, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think that's really the key. You know, I, I do this, you know, apologetics ministry and I think, you know, apologetics is important. I mean, it's, it's important to be able to answer the questions that unbelievers have and be able to use those questions as, uh, you know, springboards to gospel conversations. But Man, so much of it is is just what you said. It's just the willingness to to reach out, and I think maybe maybe you can probably speak to this a little bit more than I can. But um, actually, a lot more than I can. But in the states, at least specifically in the Bible Belt, you have people who are they're so hesitant to go outside of their I guess their Christian bubble and to actually build relationships with unbelievers, even within their own context. And I think that evangelism in their minds is something that causes anxiety, and they always have to know the right answer. They always have to know the perfect way to explain something. But a lot of evangelism is just what you said. It's exactly what you said. It's being intentional about having these real relationships with people. And then, and again, like you said, I keep saying that, but like you said, uh, being willing and, and ready to just to share the gospel whenever it comes up. And so I think you're, man, I think you're dead on there. I'm not an apologist. I always find, you know, I'm in seminary now, but apologetics is always like, okay, this is just too much for me. Can we just keep it simple? Right. <laughs> like, right. Okay. But it, it's good. And I learned it this past year, actually, I had a, my module was on apologetics and I learned so much. And I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. This is really good. This is how I can improve the relations and the conversations that we have because when those questions come and sometimes they're hard questions and you're like, I don't know how to answer that appropriately. Um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't depend on me. I have to step out of the way <laughs> and yeah. just speak. And, you know, like one thing that I heard, I think it might've been David Platt talking about gospel conversations and weaving in the strings. I think it was threads was his sermon series. And it was pretty simple. He just was like, you know, when you're sitting with an unbelieving friend and you're looking at the sunset and you're like, man, an awesome creator that we have, you know, and they don't necessarily believe the way you believe, but you can still just seeing a sunset instead of saying that's a beautiful sunset, say, wow, God really has created a beautiful thing for us to, to, right. to enjoy. And then they start seeing, you see in that point that God is creator. And that's what yeah. people need to understand that there is a God he did create. And then this is who we are. And this is, you know, 
God's plan for us. And so, yeah, I think that's important. It's just simple, everyday conversations and keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. Don't, yeah. don't overcomplicate it because that's me. I overcomplicate everything. So earlier you mentioned, and we're, we're, I guess we're kind of going backwards a little bit in the conversation, but, but you mentioned, um, you know, you were kind of caught up in the American, the American dream of, I guess, of what it was like to be in ministry. Is that, is that what you said? Um, no, I was like, I, ministry was not on my radar in high school. Oh, right. Okay. Do something. I think it was psychiatry. I don't remember now. It's going to, you know, make a lot of money, have a nice house and just, you know, live the American dream and best life now kind of thing. But then came into Romania, God, <laughs> for the first time, I think when I went to Romania, um, actually like my testimony would be that I was baptized when I was six and I understood the gospel, but I never understood that gospel, the gospel call to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came to Romania the first two weeks, you can even ask my in-laws that I was a completely per- different person after those two weeks. The first two weeks, I was a big punk, like just, you know, <laughs> the American punk kid, you know, 19 years old, didn't know any better. Just, you know, it was all about me and Alabama and how great everything was. And then God was just like, <laughs> oh, Caleb, I have so much more things for you. <laughs> Let me just smack you around a little bit. So, yeah, God definitely did that. And I realized that God has called us through the gospel, to come and die, to to pick up our cross and live as Christ lived. And he's not my get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not my believing in the gospel. It's not me um, just being saved. It's the fact that I'm redeemed and redeemed for a purpose and that it's not about God is my Lord or he's not my Savior. And that was that was for me. And I realized that real quick, about two weeks, right. I realized that, ooh, this is what gospel means. It means to come and die. So that's exactly what the whole entire experience brought me to where I am and changed my life. I think that's an awesome way to put it. Like you, you didn't realize the the call to die. I think that's such an important thing because I think so many people, um, including myself, like, you know, we're right there with you. I, I think there's just, there's not enough emphasis sometimes put on the fact that, like you said, we're supposed to die to ourselves and we're supposed to pick up our cross and actually not be, you know, passive about the, uh, the pains and sufferings that come to us because we're Christians. Yeah but to actually live a life that brings that about because we are picking up our cross and intentionally carrying out the the great commission and i think that's sometimes lost in translation for some reason i guess in the uh, the american presentation of the gospel definitely so tell tell us a little bit about um what you guys are doing now cuz you just moved to a, a new city and yeah. uh, got some new exciting things going on so so what are you guys doing right now so um, the past five and a half years, we lived in Northwest Romania. It's we we call it the Bible Belt of Romania, um, and because there's lots of uh, a lot more Christians there, still a lot in the work that needs to be done. But um, we just felt like when we went to America this past fall, um, to just uh, our normal two year you know checkup, go back and see people, speak to our churches, and share with our um, our supporters and family and friends. And um, we came back to Romania. We we're all we were thinking that you know. Hey, uh, God's gonna continue to let us work in the village we're working in, and maybe you know, maybe in the future move off somewhere else. Um, but really, just kind of uh, came back, and we saw that Ash's parents had great, and we had a great team of like seven employees. They're Christians. They're all from the the city, and they're coming and they're working, and everything's kind of running without us. And so for two months, it we just came back, and we're just like, hmm, like this things are going great. Like the elderly are being fed, the people are knowing the gospel. They're they're bringing in kids into these orphan homes, and we're just like, okay, God, you know, this is this is kind of a weird feeling. It was a good feeling, so we decided that we would um, consider um, perhaps maybe we should go and 
replicate this because this is going good and it's going great and let's go do that. So God kind of um, put it on our hearts to do that. And we uh, joined Contact Mission um, to help us, you know, make this church planning thing a, a, you know, an easy switch for us. And so we chose Pitesht, which is South Central Romania. And we uh, never thought we'd be in city ministry. We were always, we always have the village people because they're the ones that are, obviously they have the least access to the gospel in general. They're least educated. They just have a lot more, more need. And so this is kind of what we like, like the lifestyle. So God, yeah, back in February, we are back in this um, November, December, we just said, we felt like God was calling us to um, to move. And to be honest, we didn't want that to be true because we were with our, our four kids, have their grandparents 15 kilometers away. We have a brother, or my wife's brother and, and sister of married Romanians, and he just had a baby. One of uh, Her brother just had a baby. And we have some good American friends that work in another village. Their kids were best friends with our kids. So we didn't want it to be true that God was calling us away. We thought maybe we can find a village that didn't have you know a church in the area. And we couldn't find one in um, our county. So we started looking elsewhere because we felt like God had placed us on our hearts to um, move to an unreached area. Because um, a problem with Romanians, I'm not a problem, but it's very difficult for a Romanian family to move. Like, I was, like what we did, our six and a half hour move is like insane for Romanians. Everybody's like, why would you do that? Like, what has caused you to move six hours? Like Romanians don't move. And so they just kind of stay in their area. And one of the things we we're talking to some pastors and some friends and even some contact mission missionaries here near us, and they were talking about how difficult it is to find a young pastor who wants to go and pastor these villages, but they don't um, have enough money to sustain their work in the villages. And so many times they're picking up like more than one village church to help make their ends meet, or they're having to be bivocational and they just don't know how to balance bivocational pastoral you know leadership kind of things they have to work and do church planning it's difficult for them and um just doing a lot of research and prayer and realizing that okay we could stay here and we could do some more things in this area and you know maybe train some Romanians in there and send them out that was kind of like our plan but then um we were just looking like hey let's check out David Platt's church and see how many missionaries that they send out and um just his they have like we found like basically they support 42 missionaries and we're like okay well out of that, you know, I'm not sure how many people, thousands of people they have at the church, but we're like, that's not a very good percentage. And then if we're in Romania and we want to send out, you know, believers here into other parts of Romania, the Romanians aren't capable of necessarily doing that. You know, just hearing our feedback from other people. So we're like, God, here we are. We can. We're able. Um, we can do this. And so um, this is what you're calling us to do. So we looked on the map and Pitesht was one that stuck out to us. Um, and the fact that it has less than 500 Christians in the city of 170,000. It was just like, okay, this is definitely unreached. <laughs> I mean, I think it's less than 0.02% unbelief in Christ. And so, um, yeah, here we are. <laughs> six months later, or yeah, six months after we moved back from, or came back from the States, we've moved to Pitesh this last month, and we're getting settled in and getting our downstairs uh, working up for ministry. And hopefully this week, um, actually yesterday I was in Aradia back in our, Old Town finishing up paperwork um, and getting our final certificate. And we're an official Christian association that can plant churches now. Um, and so we're excited to officially be able to start work this week. So, yeah, it's kind oh, of the story awesome. that got us here. <laughs> that's amazing. So is it easy to, to, I guess, be a Christian organization in Romania? Or do you, is there like a lot of legal hoops that you well, have to jump a, through? Well, we this is um, it's more of a recent, not recent, that's in the last like 15 years kind of 
way to plant churches. Um, typically, in Romania, you have what they call cults. We'll call those conventions. The Southern Baptist Convention, you know, the Evangelical Free Church. Those are all conventions in America. The Romanian word for convention is cult. And oh, so okay. they have the Baptist cult, the Pentecostal cult. They have the Orthodox cult, obviously. They have all, so all these different things, the Jehovah Witnesses, um, the Hungarian Reformed Church, and different things. And so um, if we wanted to join a cult and have like our, we want to start a church. It would be probably the Baptist, right? The Baptist cult. Right. Well, if we want it, we want to be a, an official. It is our Baptist cult. We want to have our um, official church here working. We'd have to have like 300 baptized believing, believing people, members, to be official, like an autonomous church that, you know, like as Northbrook would be. And well, that's just really hard to do. Right. And so then if you were going to make that happen, you would then have to like find another church to be like a little sister church, daughter type church. It's kind of the word they use here, it's like daughter church. And so everything has to be run through the main church, like financially and things like that, just for legal purposes. So, um, yeah, and there's also some other things that happen along these cults that are um, some control issues, some legalism, some different like things that you can and can't do because you're a part of this church. And, you know. and so recently, a lot of um, a way, not a way to get around it, but to become like a, a church that doesn't have this like these weird rules that you have to hold up to. You can start in a Christian association, and then you can uh, your scope of that association can be anything from working with orphans or feeding the poor or teaching whatever, or you can even plant churches. And so we've set up our association um, as a Christian association that plants churches. And so um, and then that's kind of it, it's easy. It's an easy process in the sense that it took me one day to do the paperwork. Well, you have to make a name, get that approved, three weeks, and then you make your paperwork pay your fees and then you and then they just got finished three weeks later and i went back and you know made a bank account and signed a piece of paper and asked for and filled out a form and i got my so like an official thing it's not hard it's just um, more of a loophole kind of sure. thing so we're you know well uh hey the last thing that i really wanted to to talk to you about is something that that you spoke on last time that you were at northbrook and i was fortunate enough to be able to hear you preach and um one of your sermon points was that we we can't replace the gospel for humanitarian work and and i think that in in i guess more liberal christianity um, that kind of leaning christianity there's there's a big push for that there's a big push for we need to do as much humanitarian work as we possibly can and that that sometimes supersedes the the gospel so i was wondering if you could you could touch on that and maybe touch on how maybe that's kind of, that kind of mindset has affected what you've been doing in in romania yeah so yeah, it's a very it's a very hard thing to um, discuss because there are real hurts and real pains and real suffering that we see every day. We know it's a result of sin, and we know it's the world that we live in, and we're not called to be, you know, we're you know we're strangers in this world. We're kind of passing through, and so yeah, I think our generation and younger has kind of tired of seeing that you know the poor kids in Africa on TV and all these things that you hear and social media has made all these issues that are that are real the suffering that's going on around the world they're like in our face all the time and so there is this new activist type of theology i guess you might say again i'm a, I'm a christian activist and that's great and that's wonderful because i think that's what you know we should be active in the world and speaking out against injustice um but for me when i was preaching on um in northbrook all that stuff was like for me this is what i've learned so god's taught me this is where i was this is what, mm -hmm. so i want to preface this by saying that, yeah, um, I don't want to judge anyone and put any, you know, make anyone just kind of get mad and give up or whatever. But I think for my own personal experience was 
it got to a point where if I had taught a kid how to read, I was, I was, yeah, this is good. I did it. They can read. But then as time went on, I would see that I'm like, okay, well, I've been teaching this or whatever, and I haven't shared the gospel or they haven't come to know. And so I was kind of like putting the gospel on the back burner and I was putting, I'm, I'm doing these good things and feeding people. They're getting educated. This is great. But then I was just kind of like, wait a minute, I have replaced missions, like sharing the gospel, evangelize people with humanitarian acts, which are definitely necessary. And the church needs to be engaged in those things. But I think sometimes, I think the problem we come into is that we have, we're going to stop this. And I think, let me back up and say, I think what I've learned the most the past, you know, six years is the fact that there's a lot of suffering in the world. There's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of things that just shouldn't be. But if you read Genesis again, you find out that God created the earth and it was beautiful. It was perfect. This is what it was supposed to be. And then it wasn't because of sin and because of rebellion. And so, um, and then we read throughout the Bible that God is preparing a place for us and he's going to make the world new. So I think with the liberal, um, progressive Western culture and all these things that we're trying to do and trying to be humanitarian and make all these, you know, make things right now, I think we get distracted by the making things right now. And I think that's the issue is that we need to be reminded daily that this is not our world. This world is never going to be the way that it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden on our own terms, on our own efforts, because God is doing something in the background, in the foreground. He's doing something. He's making the world new, and he's doing that through Christ and through sharing the gospel. Um, and something that I you know, re- even heard recently was that in places that like that have been changed and transformed by the gospel. So somebody did a research on who it was did some research, and they found out that these places that were once considered unreached or unengaged with the gospel, when churches started moving in and engaging these people and making relationships and planting churches, the gospel began to transform people. And then the problems with um, abuse, um, drugs, and um, unedged, or illiteracy, and all these different things that were going on, poverty, like the community itself had gone itself out of these things. And it was in correlation with it. The gospel was growing. Churches were booming. God was making an impact. And at the same time, all these humanitarian problems were fixing themselves in the sense that God was working. The gospel changed everything about these people that then they valued education. They valued, you know, their wives and they no longer abused them. They valued their bodies. So they weren't using. So there's all these things. So I believe the gospel is truly what transforms any community, whether it's a poor community in Africa or a Beverly Hills rich consumeristic, you know, type of culture. Gospel is what changes people, and that's what we could put on the back burner. In my own life, I was, you know, I would call it a good day if I, you know, was able to give someone some bread. And that was a good thing that I did. And I believe God was honored. But at the end of the day, we share the gospel first. And that's the only thing that's going to solve the problem. I mean, I think I realized that people just kept coming back every 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 day for bread or for food. And I'm like, what is when is it going to give? When are these people going to change? When is their life going to be different? Like, I mean, I'm giving them things. I'm, I'm loving them like Christ would love them. And I'm being the hands and feet of Jesus. But something's not working because they're coming back. I'm getting frustrated. And I'm like trying different things, wanting to quit, throwing the towel. I'm done. And then I'm just like, okay, God, I think I get it. You are the only thing that's going to change them. And that you're the only thing that matters. And the gospel is what? So we go forth with the gospel and those things will come with us. That's my, that's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah. Long story short, go with the gospel with the intention and don't ever put it on the back burner because the gospel is what transforms. It transformed me, transformed you, and it transforms you know, the worst sex trafficker in the world or the poorest person in the world. And then 
they value work, they value you know, their families. And so, yeah, I think right. when we lose sight of that, we, we just are trying to create heaven on earth and that's not what we're called to do. Right. That makes yeah. Sense. Yeah, absolutely. It really does. And I think that you touched on an unbelievably important point is that, I mean, we're not supposed to have this dichotomous thinking, I believe, when it comes to, um, I guess, humanitarian work in the gospel. But like you said, I mean, if we don't bring the gospel to these people, they don't they don't have a right understanding of, of who they are as individuals made in the image of God who are important to to a holy God. And what's more important, they don't have a correct understanding of of themselves in relation to God. And without those things being in sync, they can't truly prosper in the most real sense, in the most spiritual way, um, in the most real way that that God wants them to. So yeah, I think you absolutely hit the, the nail on the head there. Yeah, I, mean, I think awesome. it's, we always want to, I think the issue might be that it's either the gospel or social justice. And right. I think if we had to choose, it has to be the gospel every time. <laughs> Um, right. Yeah. But I don't think we have to choose. <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, a lot of things that we're going to be doing here, God's actually shown us there's a lot, there's not a lot of um, poor people, people who aren't necessarily in the city where we are, aren't necessarily, you know, needing food and clothing and things like we were in the village. And so it's, it's kind of interesting because we came from where people were in desperate need and we did everything we could in our power to meet those needs and to share the gospel. But here it's going to be a little different. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited about the opportunities that we have. But yeah, I don't think we should have to choose between each one. But if we did, it has to be the gospel. So mm-hmm. that the gospel is what transforms everything. And so, and it, and it does create these, I mean, it creates heaven on earth with quotation marks in the sense that we have communion with God and we have peace with God now. <laughs> and that's amazing. And then it's going to be even more greater when we are done <laughs> with this life and on to the next. And so, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think, honestly, I think that's a perfect place to leave it. I think we can't get any any better than that i think that's fantastic well hey man if people want to to find you and want to uh, kind of keep up with what you're doing where can they where can they do that um they can go to our website uh, robertsonsinromania.com um they can follow me and my wife on instagram uh robertsons progress and then also facebook i think it's rob uh, facebook.com slash robertsonsinromania we post a lot of things on there um, yeah, we are kind of, uh, I think a lot of people always say they really enjoy the fact that we keep people, you don't have to worry about what we're doing because we're going to post it and let you guys know. <laughs> so you guys can always say, hey, stop posting because we, we've got too much information. <laughs> but our thing is, I don't want to, I guess in the back of my mind is I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be lazy. I'm not a lazy person. I like to work and work hard. And so I got lots of things to share. So I'm going to throw it out there at you. But yeah, you follow us on Instagram and Facebook, sign up for our newsletters, check out our website. Talk to our advocacy team at Northbrook. They're great. So, <laughs> cool, man. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your out of your busy life right now to to do this with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I will talk to you again soon. I'm sure. Thank you for listening to the Truth for Doubt discussion series. If you would like to know how you could support the Truth for Doubt ministry, please go to truthfordoubt.com slash give or visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash t4d.